Here we go. Folks, this is your host Cameron Ivy of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host Cameron Ivy, and with me, as always, my friend and other host, co-host. Uh, <laughs> I'm in, the, I'm in the room. You have to call me co-host. <laughs> okay. so, I, so I'm co-host as well. So um, we, we have a very, very special episode for our 100th episode today. Uh, but before we introduce him, Gabe, how, how are you doing today? This is not our normal Friday recording, but uh, we're getting it's, there. It's not, which means, um, you know, it's it's hump day. So yes. I'm a little I'm a little tighter than I am when we usually talk on Fridays. Like I'm a little wild <laughs> right now. Still, it's it's uh, it's Wednesday. I'm I am looking forward to it not being Wednesday any longer. Let's just say that Agreed. Thursday is going to be awesome. Yeah, Cause, just because it'll be Friday Eve is is why. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm good. Busy but good. And uh, we're we're in February, and it's probably going to go by way too quick. So. Um, it's because they steal days from us in February. They don't let us have a full month. That's why. <laughs> I said us, and that might have sounded weird, but I meant uh, yeah. us, but whatever. Just in general. But happy, happy yeah. Black History Month either way. Um, so <laughs> it was not intended, but let's, we're going to let it ride. Uh, so, <laughs> so we have a special guest. He is the founder and board of directors of Spirion Identity Finder, if you know that name as well. But Mr. Todd Feynman, thank you so much for for joining the show. I could be more excited to be here. Thank you so much, guys. This has been a long time coming, and this is going to be an excellent episode. I'm very excited. Welcome yes. to the show. We've always wanted to have you on, but we figured, you know, we'd, we'd wait until A, we knew the show wasn't a massive failure. And B, 100. Like, we'd make you sweat, sweat you out. Like, 100. You get one. I could not be more honored. <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's a it's a pleasure to have you. I couldn't be more honored. Um, why don't you start by the same way we ask? We we'll start with all of our guests. We ask one one very basic question to get it started, and it is: Tell us about yourself. Well, I started Identity Finder about oh gosh, how many years ago? So that was two thousand and six, and before that, it was Velocicure, and that was two thousand and one, where we had a security compliance product. So. Before that, I was a consultant in the big six. Now, of course, it's the big four, but doing security and privacy for the largest corporations out there. And it has been an unbelievably exciting uh, journey to go to go from the consulting world into building a product and then having customers use it and, and tell us everything we were doing wrong and then tweak it and augment it. and I, that was my life for you know, 16 years almost. And, uh, and it was truly enjoyable. 
Uh, I'm talking about the identity finder piece that is. And now uh, I am I'm in the security and privacy space, trying to keep up with everything that's being thrown at us on a daily basis with all of the threats that are out there and in our personal lives and, and in corporations and, and businesses we work with. Um, and that's, that's who I am. 21 years on the low side of your being involved in um, privacy and security. Uh, and, and that's, that, that was the, the initial start of Velocicure. So I, I certainly count you amongst um, one of the, the OGs of this space. And I've got so many questions around that, but I want to start with what did you know then that others hadn't realized? What did you know about privacy and security their relationship to each other and and the the thing the mission that Velocicure started out on that others just didn't know that you know it's it's a really interesting question because starting Velocicure was a unbelievable challenge I mean that that's really what kicked off Identity Finder and we were surrounded by companies building product or providing services that would help a company figure out if they can get broken into. And, and the way they essentially were doing that is, is focusing on all of the hacks and, and where the penetrations through the perimeter can happen, you know, whether it's, you know, malware and you needed antivirus or anti-spam or anti-botnet or anti-this or anti-that, or it was, you know, mundane things like a firewall, which of course are unbelievably critical. But we took an approach that said, instead of looking at all of those attacks and how people can get inside from the outside we said let's take a look at the inside and figure out every single thing that can go wrong and what we quickly realized was we shouldn't be looking at the inside servers that were protecting the perimeter and we shouldn't be looking at all of the inside vulnerabilities we should be looking at the data itself because why spend a million dollars securing something if it's just not important to you? And the more companies can understand their data, the more they are able to solve their problems, whether that be spending a million dollars or whether that be ignoring the problem because maybe it's just you know not that important. Like the public phone book just doesn't need the same level of encryption as the secret formula. So Velocicure was this sort of compliance product that said, well, let's look at every single setting that we could possibly automate and figure out everything that could go wrong. In theory, instead of doing an attack and penetration and hoping you either get lucky or guess a password or find a zero-day attack or some vulnerability in the software, let's focus on every single setting and every single piece of software running and figure out in theory how everything can go wrong and focus it on the data where you care. Because if, again, if a server was a public phone book, why, why are we looking at the vulnerabilities on it? Unless it can be use, used as a launch pad to attack one of the other servers. So what quickly happened was we learned that the world needed to know what their data was. And that's sort of how Identity Finder blew up. It, it became, a, it, there was a strong demand for help us understand our data. What's sensitive, what's not. We want to protect what's sensitive. We don't want to protect what's not sensitive, or at least we'll worry about that later. I need to, my, at the time, CSOs were kind of a new thing, but you know, my CIO or CSO needs to walk into the board meeting and tell them how much 
the companies at risk? Are we going to wind up on the cover of the Wall Street Journal? Are we going to have our data stolen and be used by a competitor? Well, where does that data reside? Which servers and desktops is, are people allowed to go home at night and 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 view that data from, you know, the same office that their kids are building Lego sets in? You know, what what is the real risk here? And Identity Finder suddenly became a non-compliance product and more of a data discovery product. And of course, what we learned from that were customers would say, you're doing a great job of telling me where all my data is, but my data is changing every day. How am I supposed to take this report from Monday and use it on Tuesday? And suddenly, the world of data classification became a thing. It suddenly became, we should be doing data classification. In reality, it was always sort of the same thing. Look at your data, look at your data, look at your data do data discovery. And, and data classification sort of became what, what the market was. Um, and, and I think not only looking at it as a singular feature and, and looking at it as, well, how do we also protect that data suddenly made Identity Finder not just a privacy product, but also a security product because you have to do something when you find the data and classify it. Do you quarantine it? Do you shred it? Do you redact it? Do you encrypt it? And that became very complicated because, you know, when you go to market, are you a privacy product? Are you a security product? Um, and, and I think those things became very nuanced, um, especially in the context of who you're talking to. I want, I'll shut up now and, 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 and wait for you to. <laughs> I promise you that the listeners do not tune in to hear my, my silky voice. I promise you they don't. I, I like to tell myself that, but they're, they're here for the guests. They're here for the guests. Look, I want to do a couple of things. I want to, I want to congratulate you on, well, hell, 20 plus years of, uh, of service to the privacy and security cause. There's nothing to shake a stick at. There's, there's no shortage of, of privacy and security companies on the planet. We'll talk about that a little bit in a second too. Um, but I also want to congratulate you on making discovery and classification so ubiquitous. It is now so ubiquitous that I, I spend a lot of my time, an ungodly amount of my time, talking to security professionals still. And even though a lot of the, the security I'm focused on right now isn't um, it's un, it's a lot of unstructured data security still, right? So you know that that's the that's where to your point all of this stuff is um, absolutely. The conversation discovering classification comes up in every single one of them, every single one. It used to be that when I first met you, Todd, what I think eight, eight years ago now, I don't remember somewhere around that. Long time. It's been a little while. That conversation wasn't quite this ubiquitous at all. We, you were still, we were still telling people how much, you know, this was a truth and they needed it. So congratulations on, I can't get the hell away from it. Every time I turn around, it's another conversation. They're like, but can you, but will you be able to tell me what data is in there? And I'm like, yes, fine. Well, I know a guy, I know a guy. Um, <laughs> that being said though, there are a lot of security companies. When you look around today, there's no shortage of people um, that, that are, are still trying to figure out and solve this problem in different ways. Um, how's the pro how's that problem landscape changed over the years where you were intimately involved in it? What was the evolution of that problem like? It's funny because you can also ask me the question of, you know, what was like the most frustrating thing, you know, at Identity Finder uh, as we evolved into Spirian? And the answer to both questions are, the world used to be having to convince companies to do the right thing. 
And, and, and it's, it's actually so much worse than that. We used to have to convince companies that they shouldn't be storing this type of sensitive data. The sensitive data that they have to be storing needs to be secured much better than it does. They can't have such a lack of awareness as to where that data is. You know, we used to see a company say, well, that HR file is, is just in an, you know, that's an Excel spreadsheet and it's just on the HR person's computer. And it's, we'd say, here's a free copy of Identity Finder, go run it on the desktop. And, you know, all of a sudden they'd be like, well, something's not right with your product because it found, you know, nine, co- you know, it found nine instances of that same spreadsheet. Like it's just, you know, repeating itself over and over. And it's like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, here's a copy of it in the sent items of an Outlook folder. And here's a copy of it in a temp folder on the computer. And here's a copy of it in someone else's received you know inbox on in outlook and and it's like yeah those are all real on on different machines and you know you don't realize you think it's one copy of that excel file that's in existence but in in reality your employees are moving it everywhere and they're not deleting anything it's on backup servers it's in it's in exchange servers it's of course on people's desktops and and in many cases and, and more more so now, you hear people emailing it to themselves so they have access to it at home through their Gmail account. Now, all of a sudden, Google has a copy of it. So it went from this unbelievably frustrating, um, m- m- steep mountain we were climbing of trying to educate the world that you should be doing a better job to companies reaching out to us and saying, well, we know we have this problem and we need, we need to find a solution for it. And, and you're one of those that we're going to be looking at. And... I, I think, you know, we took it very personally at the time because, like, I, w- I won't name any specific companies, but, like, the cell phone provider that I use. We couldn't sell to them, yet they have my social security number because they forced me to give it to them. Because I remember 20 years ago when I opened up my cell phone account, they were unsure I'd pay my $100 bill. So they take your social security number. They run a credit report. Well, 20 Five years later, you you don't need my social security number, but you still have it. I know you do because you keep asking me for my last four digits every time I call. <laughs> so it's it's I I think the world has gotten better, but I, I still hold organizations very accountable for the mistakes that they make when they get breached because in most cases they shouldn't have had that kind of data let alone the security around it being laxer than it should have been, more lax than it should have been. I think that answers your question. I don't know if there's anything else you want me to say, but today there's no question. The market gets the problem. They don't necessarily get how to solve it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Tata, I'm curious. Uh, Lots of things going on in my little brain over here. Um, too many things that I want to ask you, but, you know, what do you think made you so passionate about, you know, being the founder of this, like creating this product and and solving for this problem? What, what does it stem back from something from your childhood? Does it stem from a, a situation or is it just like you and your partner, David, I mean, what kind of struck you guys one day? You're like, we need to do this. I, I, it truly was the frustration that we were not only personal, personally affected by the lack of proactiveness in corporations to do the right thing, 
because again, it was, it was my cell phone account. It was my cable account. It was like all these things that I knew I shouldn't be telling people about myself. Why do you need my, my full date of birth? Why do you need my mother's maiden name? And I get it. Look, there's certain, you can't leave this sort of podcast thinking like, well, I'm never going to give anything to anyone. You're not going to be able to open up a bank account if they don't have your social security number. And they should have your social security number. But banks also should be held to an extremely high standard because they have your social security number. Mm-hmm. So back back then, we we were consultants at the, as I said, we were consultants at the big six. And, and we were looking at all the problems that we were being paid to solve. And, and these big six companies get paid millions of dollars to solve these problems. And I, we looked at this and we said, we're not helping the world in the right way. It it does feel a little bit like I go from one client engagement to the next client engagement. Then you go back to the original client and and you don't see progress being made, not across the industry and not even within a single organization. And we had a vision that that problem can go away. And I think we were a little bit ahead of the market just based on how difficult it was to convince people that they needed to be doing things. And I remember seeing commercials with, you'll, you'll remember them, Citibank put the commercials out where there'd be, you know, an older lady and she'd be talking to the camera, but you'd hear a very deep man's voice. And she's talking about how uh, her identity was stolen. And mm-hmm. we thought, okay, the world's starting to get it. And the big companies are starting to promote identity theft is a real risk if they get a hold of your social security number. So this is clearly a huge problem. No one knows how to solve it. We put everything we had into building a product that would help Citibank find all those city at the time, uh, find all of those social security numbers. And then we learned healthcare companies need this. They need to find PHI and retailers need, need this because they have to find credit card numbers. Everybody needed some way to find sensitive data. And we, we really thought that there, this was a major problem everyone needed to solve. And I, it's not that we thought it. We knew it. And it, of course, that's true. We thought we had the best solution for it. I think what we didn't realize was people didn't realize how difficult of a problem it was. They thought, oh, great, I'll download your software. It'll work like antivirus, and, and that's that. It's just going to find all my data classified for me. Well, no. No one knows how to classify it but you. We'll help you find that it has a social security number, a full name, a date of birth, an address, maybe a mother's maiden name, maybe passwords are in the file. But we can't automatically sh- – I mean – We have a feature to automatically shred it, but you don't want to use that feature because you don't know if that file contains other really important information. Then, of course, they wanted automatic redact, and we're like, again, this might be a very important. So there's a level of human intervention, and that took many years to learn how to work with big corporations, figure out what they needed to do right, and, and help them create processes, whether it's in the product or not. Um, to to solve their privacy and security problems, especially as it relates to sensitive data. Spirion aside, if you only had a hundred dollar budget to use on data security and privacy to create a new program for your company or any company, what advice would you give that person, and where would you start with that hundred dollars? There's no question. There, there's fundamentals and there's a foundation that has to be built before you use a product that does discovery and classification. So, you know, if someone, if a corporation only had $100, you know, I I don't think I'd be 
so greedy or irresponsible to say, well, start with data discovery. You know, I, I do think you definitely got to put a firewall up and, you know. But save $5. Don't spend all what I did. So let's put this in context of, okay, we're, we're sort of in a mature organization, but they don't necessarily know what to do. Or you were sort of posing the question of what product. Um, believe it or not, I, I still think this is, this is the product to be to be focused on and and it's more about the easy button being built into it you know we've we've really never achieved a way to automate you know 99% of it right we automate 85% of it but it's amazing how that last 15% is is a major gap for companies so you know there's there's a level of machine learning and there's a level of um features in the product that can create processes and um, playbooks to really make a company use the software effectively and productively. And I would say that with all the great products that are out there, Spirian and, and all the ones from, you know, complementary products, all of them, the more we can help corporations spend less time and labor on using those products, that's the best use of that $100. You know, is it, it, do you put $50 towards security and $50 towards privacy? Well, whichever one you're going to be able to get your employees to do more of and better of is, is the right place to start. And then you add on top of that because they're not going to do everything, right? And you're not going to be able to automate all of it. And then you're going to need a, a second and third and fourth layer of security controls and privacy controls to sort of help them um, really close the gap. But but efficiency and, and effectiveness uh, have sort of been pushed to the wayside to sort of check boxes on features. Um, and I know that, you know, we've been, you know, very focused on, you know, how do you create playbooks and, and automation inside of a product and where can machine learning be leveraged to do that? Um, and I, and, and I, think, I think that's smart because you know, the other side of it is, as someone who tried to sell product over and over and over for many years, that was the biggest hurdle. I remember on sales calls uh, so many times uh, a CIO or some high up person would say, well, we don't, you know, we'd be talking about their data and they'd say, well, that's the billion dollar question, right? Where's where's all our data and what is it? That's the billion dollar question. Well, that's not a billion dollar question. It's a hundred thousand dollar question. We, we know the answer to that. You just have to buy the software. And they'd say, well, what are you talking about? It doesn't really work that easily. And it's like, well, yes, it does. You see, we can tell you where all your sensitive data is now very easily. We don't want to be the ones to tell you what to do with it. And this kind of speaks to the, you know, the question of privacy rights and, and sort of what's the difference between security and privacy. We can tell you to secure all of it, and we can automate that for you. No problem. We could automate quarantining it to a server that has full disk encryption, or we could automate putting encryption on every single file one by one. We could automate Azure rights. We could do any of that stuff for you, right? But should someone have the right to tell you you need to purge that information, and how do we help you execute that right of privacy when it comes through the door? That's... Um... It's the billion dollar question, right? Is that what you said? What you were, yeah, it's... yeah, that's what I was gonna say, and I was like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so going back when you guys, you guys had the idea to start this company, and where the industry was, where where things were standing, did you guys have? Now I said you said that you had a vision, but 
the vision that you had, did it look like where it is today? And are you happy with where the direction of security and privacy has gone? And and if not, where do you want it or hope it to to be? The the truth is, as as hard as this sounds to believe, I, I think the vision was spot on. Like we did see an end state of the world that, of course, nobody's achieved yet or data breaches would never be in a hot in a headline but you know the cloud was sort of like a, a newish thing right in 2001 you know of mm-hmm. course you know people didn't really call it that back then but we knew we were going to be moving to that sort of environment at some point like people aren't going to keep installing an agent on every single computer for the next 50 years we knew you're not going to quarantine or encrypt or redact every you know, we 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 had this vision of sort of getting to beyond where we are today we you know the truth is we thought it would be baked into the operating systems and and again that's still the vision of of where this should go because there's no reason for this to be a secondary product that you install but we always thought and this was the example we started to use a few years into the company like you know how Dropbox gives you the little overlay icon? Well, all of them do. But, you, you know, OneDrive, Dropbox, Box, they all give you that little overlay icon. And, and if you use your desktop to, to manage files like I do because, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do certain things that I have to do on just a tablet. But seeing all that information made it very easy for me to sort of get where the product should be going because I wanted everyone to open up a folder and immediately know those three files have sensitive data, specifically social security numbers or HR data. And these two files have other personally identifiable information. But you know, nine other files visually, before I even double click on them, I will know if I'm dealing with something that can put my customers at risk. And there's no question Spirian has helped customers do that, but the ultimate vision that we did think of in 2001 thought by now all like every single computer and tablet and everything would, there weren't tablets in 2001 per se, but we thought all of that, anytime you're looking at data before you opened it, you would know what's the context of what I'm opening. Is it sensitive? Does it have privacy data in it? Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that sort of we've helped companies do that. And I don't think anyone's ever just installed the software and gotten there. And, and I used to always tell customers that you, you're not you're not just going to install this like antivirus and think you're protected. It's it's there is a second layer of of this training and awareness and using the product correctly. But the vision was always to get to this point of helping companies do this. Um, I think there was a second part of your question. I just basically is is where things are now what you hoped the direction that not yet where they went not okay. yet and and I I've used this example sort of a lot but it, it it's it seems like it's timeless but you know the Sony example from 2014 of them getting attacked by a nation state because the nation state was sort of interested in you know hurting them and stealing movies and you know making it difficult for the movie the interview to you know go into theaters and stuff wound up having um, a lot of collateral damage because every single employee at Sony had their social security number and payroll data leaked online. In addition, 40,000 more Americans had their social security numbers leaked online because Sony had never deleted that data. 
we had done an analysis of, of the data that was online and found that hundreds of documents contained the same social security numbers. So, you know, I look at that and of course, Sony was a victim of, of an attack by a nation state, but at the same time, I thought they should have been held to a much higher level of, of accountability to why the collateral damage could be perpetrated that way. Like you, sh- if someone broke into your company, I, I get it. You're not going to be able to protect all of your employees. I mean, you should have been able to, but those other 40,000, it just makes no sense. And why are there hundreds of documents containing the same information? You're giving them 300 plus targets instead of one target. And that's exactly what happened. They, they wound up just downloading in as much information as possible. So I, ex- I always extrapolate that out to all of the other breaches we see. You know, oh, what a shame that university was breached and they lost all that data. Well, no. You know what the shame is? All of their students now are at risk for identity theft for the rest of their lives. You know, the Experian, remember, I, I know this is a podcast, so I'll make sure I say that slowly again. Experian data breach was, in my opinion, <laughs> the credit agency. <laughs> exactly. The, the credit bureau leaked all of, you know, they, all of our social security numbers, you know, hundreds of millions of American social security numbers were leaked. And what did we get for that? We were told we were getting a few hundred bucks. Well, you know, what does that do for me? And then we were told we'll get 10 years of credit monitoring because too many people took the cash. And then I don't know about you guys, but I got the email. I'm getting four years now of credit monitoring. What That is useless. The data gets harvested. Nobody uses it for the first few years because they know people are alert to the problem. And 10 years from now, if we're still using social security numbers as an identifier, I, you know, the entire country's at risk of identity theft. I mean, you have the extra bonus of it's basically like selling you a home alarm system that only tells you after the criminals are down to block it around the corner. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, we're going to get you a free home security surveillance system. Only we're going to post it down by the highway, and it only looks at the on-ramp. So, And, so. you know, you could say, okay, let's have some compliance regulation thrown in here to, to hold companies to a higher standard. But, you know, they make so much money. At some point, doing the right thing should outweigh requiring the government to create regulation. And we've seen states step up to the plate. California has done a lot more than most other states to create regulation so that corporations have to do a better job protecting our data and our privacy. But to answer your question about the timing of things, I thought we would have been a lot further along because the technology has rocket shipped past what we're capable like you know just it's so much easier to hack into a company it's so much easier to download thousands of files it's so much easier to find if those files contain millions of social security numbers or credit card numbers or personal addresses it's it's and now especially with the pandemic the data is all over the place people want to work from home so they're taking data home from them suddenly corporations have to deal with the fact that well the perimeter is no longer my organization. It's my organization and the studio at employee A and the, you know, the, um, the work from home situation we have for the other hundreds of thousands of employees. And that is creating a much bigger risk. So I would have thought security and privacy eclipsed 
the the technology vulnerabilities. And when I say vulnerabilities, just inherent to data, like right, the data contains your social security number. It's vulnerable to to being used for, to commit identity theft. I would have thought by now that would have been one of the most prominent areas to focus on for security and privacy as enterprises created so much profit for themselves in using that data beneficially. Um, like social media, we all create accounts, they have our address, they have our date of birth, maybe they don't have their social security numbers, but they have a lot of information that could be used to commit identity theft against us. I mean, let's face it, to steal my money out of PayPal, all well, you need is my username and password. I mean, you don't even need all that other information right now. So, you know, you can get that if you get a data breach from LinkedIn and that person uses the same LinkedIn password as they do to their bank account or PayPal. And a lot of people still do that. So I, I do think that technology and the use of that technology is is moving much faster than the securing of that technology. And, and that that was a little bit surprising to me, especially after we saw so many headlines with Target losing, you know, 40 million credit cards or whatever it was. Um, and, and, and all the other examples we've talked about on this. Yeah, I agree. Do you think that, I, I don't know, not, not a particular like people, but do you think that the threat companies and the evil corporations that are actually coming after sensitive data was ahead of the companies trying to defend, I guess, per se? I, it's such a good question because I wonder if the bad, if I understand the question correctly, I wonder if the bad guys took advantage of an opportunity. Like, right. did did the laziness of large corporations create an opportunity in the black marketplace for hackers to decide, I can make a lot of money stealing this data and putting it on the black market? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure jump ship too. I'm sure some jumped for the money. And yes, of course. And I, I think there, I won't go into, I think, you know, I think there's publicized examples of that. that are still, you know, in the questionable, you know, is it an allegation or, or did it really happen? So, but yeah, I mean, recently we've seen a few, you know, few insider threats where, you know, they thought they'd make a lot more money doing the wrong thing. Um, and of course they got caught. Um, that's also a little surprising. Sometimes people not realizing you will eventually get caught. You might not get caught in the first six months. You might not even get caught 12 months later, but you know, the, the digital forensics is is astounding today. Um, it just right. takes a lot of time. Yeah, you're not going to get away with it like the Boston Strangler. We're going to be able to figure <laughs> you out. <laughs> it, it, it seems that way. It, digitally, I mean, again, some of these things we see go on for years. But, you know, even this year, we're seeing headlines of, of people who committed, you know, crimes a couple of years ago um, now f- first being caught. Well, probably because... Like anything else, when you don't get caught, you continue to do that thing and it and it intensifies and you want bigger and better. So eventually that's yes. And and using similar techniques or similar accounts, they 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 realize, oh, this was the same guy from a few years ago. So it's um That's another thing I was thinking about. So when when there is I don't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but it's just fascinating to kind of hear your your thought on it, you know. When thinking about the other side, the threat, the person that's that's hacking into people and companies, do you think that they are vulnerable to getting comfortable with their tactics that can actually get them caught? Or do you think that they're smart enough to actually stay ahead of the game? 
if that makes I, sense. I believe it does make sense. I believe it's a mixed bag. You're going to see all of it. I, I, I think some people get lazy. I think some people see other people getting lazy. They get scared and paranoid, and then they get very proactive. Um, I guess I think what surprises me the most is if 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 I was the CIO of, you know, a um, an organization um, and I saw all these other organizations in the headlines having these data breaches, I, it would have been a I, I feel like it should be a wake up call that this is going to happen to me. And it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when right. and I don't want to lose my job because I wasn't proactive enough. So I, I would have, I would have, and, and, and again, we missed that, right? We thought, I didn't realize the enormous amount of education it would require to convince people, hey, this is going to happen to you. Um, and frankly, the reason it hasn't yet is simply luck. luck you know, you, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bad, I think it's a, I'll tell you it's a bad sales approach because it didn't work. <laughs> people didn't believe that they'd, they'd say, no, it is a matter of if no one's, no one's, no one's attacking me. Um, and, and, and we used to always joke if someone doesn't believe us, you know, if you want, if you think you're not going to get hacked, I, I assume your strategy is delete the data because, you know, we used to joke around when we were doing attack and penetrations at the big six, you know, if you want to stop us from getting in, either limit the amount of time we have, or the joke was cut the cord can't break into a computer if the cord's unplugged. So with data, I can't you know, break into you, it. It's online. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about the pat you remember it's 2001 where online was almost a new term, but right. uh, <laughs> it was the power cord. But you know, with data, you want to you want 100% certainty someone can't get it? Shred it. Why why do you have so many copies of it? Um you know, the Sony example, you, you don't need 300 copies. Maybe you can make the argument you needed more than one copy, maybe the HR person and then, you know, another HR person or something. But you definitely didn't need backups of backups that, that contained all that and, and then all the extra copies on all the servers and the file shares and, and all that. So we, yeah, it's, it's um, no, I, I'd like to see companies um, take it more seriously. Uh, and, and of course, many are. But deleting the data is sort of like one of the best approaches. Just take stock of what you have um, and figure out what's needed and get rid of what's not. Uh, and I get it. Data is an asset now, right? It's, we all get it. Social media, right? We're, we're the customer. Taking, you know, signing up, we're, we're their data. That, that's, they're not going to delete it. But that, that then leads to the question of, well, okay, what are all the things we're going to do to secure it? Um, and there's, there's not enough being done and I'm not singling any company out, but I'm just stating that as a fact, because if enough was being done, I wouldn't have to open up the newspaper tomorrow or go online and see at least two more data breaches that I didn't see the day before. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I know that we're kind of pressing on time here with like three minutes or two minutes, but I wanted to ask you a fun question before we end part one of this this uh, episode. Notice he didn't say how many multi parts there was. This could be part one of a hundred, just so we're clear. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you heard it here first. And <laughs> the next one hundred episodes, it's just Todd. That's it. <laughs> 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 um, 
Well, first, before I ask you, I'll ask you one fun question, but is there anything that you wanted to, to add before we do the fun question? No, I think that the more, you know, the audience listening to this is doing the right thing because, and you guys are doing the right thing because the more we talk about this stuff, the more it becomes, you know, inherent to the rights we should all have. We, right. we as, we as, we as, as customers, me and you as a cell phone customer, as a cable customer, as a person who pays rent, um, we have the right for our information to be protected and secured. And that's our privacy right. And I think this level of discourse is is sort of what is going to help turn the companies into doing, force them into doing the right thing, holding them more accountable. Because at the end of the day, they'll figure out a way to, to do the bare minimum to meet a compliance regulation. But if customers stop buying from them, then their profits will be hurt and that will be the loudest message that can be sent. So yeah. I love that we're talking about this. I love that, you know, companies will hear this and, you know, the more they hear it, the more they'll decide I should be doing something more than I'm already doing. And the more we talk about this as, as, you know, just citizens, the more we'll have less of a tolerance for that. People shouldn't give their, their social security, now, social security number out when they sign up for a cell phone anymore. That that's an archaic process. And I get the $100, you know, risk, um, but put a, I'd, I would much rather put a $100 deposit down if it's possible to, and then, and then they have to refund that after the first two months or something like that to establish that, you know, you're good, you're good for it. Right. Um, and I know some of the cell phone companies have that policy. I don't know if it's two months or six months, but I know they all have different policies to avoid the SSN now. Yeah. Your example is... Um... It's still, though, it carries through the so many things from doctor's offices to you name it. The, the rando places that ask for that number is beyond me. And, and I won't lie. Like, I sometimes I still fight the good fight. Other times I just give them a random number because, sure. I, yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I never I've, I have not walked into a doctor's office or a hospital and put my SSN on their form um, for over 15 years. And there's never been an issue. Um, never, nope. ever. Uh, they've always billed me somehow oh they keep yeah that bill that bill shows up at the address i gave them every single time amazingly they don't need my ssn to get paid so you know there you go there there is my little tidbit i'll steal gabe's advice stop giving your doctor and a hospital your ssn um you're gonna have to give it to your bank but you don't got to give it to your doctor in fact feel free to give them mine it is one two three four five six seven eight you can you can give them that doesn't i don't know if that one passes the high group check it definitely does not pass the check (laughs) well awesome um so one one quick question one fun one and we'll save more for the next part but um do is todd is there one app on your phone that you use that you have to use every day almost but you absolutely cannot stand Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I have to open my phone and look at the apps to figure that out. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I use Signal for um, communication, right. and I think it's great. So I, I don't have a problem with that. And and I think people who are stuck communicating with people who don't have Signal on the other end and using it for business and using it in clear text, you know, I, I think there's a huge risk. And I, I feel like that's a great answer for other people. Um, certainly I hate using text messaging 
outside of Signal when I am communicating with someone in business who doesn't have it. Um, so that, that's a great example. I, um, there's, you know, I have my banking apps and, and all that, and, and most of those feel like they're secure. I don't know if I'm just, you know, falling for it like everyone else, but, um, yeah, the only, the only other thing I'd say is, some, you know, sometimes getting data back and forth, you know, I, I really, iCloud is, 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 is the answer to your question in a very specific context. Okay. I hate that the easiest way for me to get a very important file onto my phone from my Windows computer is to just simply drop it into iCloud. But now Apple has a copy of it, and I'm sure that when I delete it, they're not deleting it. Yeah. May I introduce you to Magic Wormhole, my friend? I'll, uh, I'll make sure to post that link in the chat here, too. Magic Wormhole is your friend. Absolutely. And it's Windows to iPhone? It's, pla it's any platform to any platform, Wonderful. my friend. Yes. Wonderful. Yes, yes, show's yes. Brought I would love Wormhole. that. Yes, so yes. there you go. I need to, we need to we need to start doing this on a weekly basis, so I can get so you can ask me that question. Right. And at the end of the year, I'll have fifty new apps, and I'll be completely secure, and uh, and my privacy will be highly maintained. There it is. There, there it is. Look, Todd. Todd yeah. Thank you. I couldn't think of a better person to have on to celebrate our one hundredth episode. Thank you very much to the uh, to to that first kid on the block. Showing everyone what the world would look like if they only knew where all of their sensitive assets actually were. Much appreciated. I think you guys are doing such a phenomenal job. Please keep keep the word getting out, and uh, let's keep having these conversations so that I can learn about things like Magic Wormhole, and and companies can hopefully get the message that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and privacy and security are big deal. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you so much again, and uh, we'll see you for part two. Thank you very much, Sheldon. Very much looking forward to that as well. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week, and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I, I know that there are millions of other shows, and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend. Have them tell their friends and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. Yeah.